morning, ZPC. It is good to see some flannel out there today, and uh, I have been waiting for this ever since about May. Uh, so it is uh, good for it to be a little bit cooler, in my mind at least. And uh, let me just uh, bring a little clarity, although I'm not sure if I will, to what uh, Jim Martin says, um, which is that basically, uh, and if you've been around Zionsville over the last few uh, weekends, you'll know kind of already what this is like. Uh, which is that if you're coming uh, east uh, on um, 116th, you won't be able to get to Michigan Road. So don't even try that. And, uh, and if you're coming this direction, if you're coming west on 116th, we hope, we believe you should still be able to actually access this entrance over here. Um, they tell us that that will still be open. Uh, and so you will be able to do that. But it will be a little bit uh, of a... Um, of an issue, but again, most of you uh, come in late anyway, so you always you have you have a built-in excuse as to why uh, you're so late. All right, so here we are. We are continuing in the Gospel of Luke, and we are in chapter 16 today, and we are going to be looking over the first 13 verses. And this is, I would say, Lynn, not yet, not yet. The, there we go. And this is, uh, this is, uh, I, wanted, I wanted just a little bit of a dramatic pause, Lynn, sorry. This is uh, what, uh, what most would say uh, the most difficult of all parables to make sense of. And so with that, uh, let us uh, read this passage. Luke writes this, Then Jesus said to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was squandering his property. So he summoned him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Give me an accounting of your management because you cannot be my manager any longer. Then the manager said to himself, what will I do now that my master is taking the position away from me? I am not strong enough to dig and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do so that when I am dismissed as manager, people may welcome me into their homes. So, summoning his master's debtors one by one, he asked the first, How much do you owe my master? He answered, A hundred jugs of olive oil. He said, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it fifty. Then he asked another, and how much do you owe? And he replied, a hundred containers of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and make it 80. And his master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the children of this age are more shrewd in dealing, dealing with their own generation than are the children of light. And I tell you, Make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth, so that when it is gone, they may welcome you into the eternal homes. Whoever is faithful in a very little is faithful also in much, and whoever is dishonest in a very little is dishonest also in much. If then you have not been faithful with the dishonest wealth, who will entrust you to the true riches? And if you have not been faithful with what belongs to another, who will give you what is your own? No slave can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, 
or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, we do pray that you would be with us this morning. We pray for an abundant amount of grace and humility as we seek to understand what it is that you would have us to hear today. And I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth, the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen and amen. So David Lowe's uh, begins his commentary on this particular part of uh, on this particular parable in this way. He says this, dear partner in preaching, so what do you think? Is it ever okay to tell the congregation that you really have no idea what a passage means? I know, I know, that may be hard to do as we are, after all, supposed to be the experts in this kind of thing. Moreover, it might be a bit a tad scandalous for some as they have a pretty high confidence, I'm not sure that's true here, but in your ability to help them understand the scriptures. At the same time, though, it might also be comforting as when they scratch their heads in perplexity at a passage like this one, they now know they're not alone. It's not that they're not smart enough or lack training. It's that this passage is really, really hard. After all, the preacher said so. I thought this was a fantastic way to begin this message because it hopefully gives you a sense that this is a very hard passage. Uh, There's so many different ways to interpret it. Uh, There's so much complexity to it. And then on top of that, you have Jesus here who seems to be commending the actions of uh, what I will call a manager, this shrewd manager. Now, you might think that if a passage like this is difficult and people don't know exactly what to do with it, the commentators would uh, perhaps not say very much about it out of the fear of kind of putting their feet in their mouths. But actually, it's interesting. In fact, someone pointed this out. There's almost an inverse relationship. Like, the more confusing it is, what I discovered is that people just kept writing, right? And you you know this, when you're kind of caught, you just kind of keep talking in hopes that at some point you might make sense. And that's exactly what I found commentators doing. They just kind of kept going on and on until at some point I wanted them just to kind of admit what David Lowe said, which is that, you know what, at the end of the day, we have absolutely no idea what this is saying. I thought this is a great way to start a sermon. I may start every sermon like this, which is with this enormous caveat. And with an abundance of humility, I think that we should begin to try to understand what exactly is happening in this Story. So let's just kind of start and see where we end up. It begins with a rich man. So there was a rich man, right? And uh, you may know this, that about uh, 30, say out of 30 parables or so, 11 of them have to do with wealth, uh, which I think is kind of interesting. Here you have a rich man, and he has what I will call a property manager. And the property manager, uh, there have been accusations brought against him. And the accusations are, of course, that he's not dealing well with the property of his, uh, of his land owner. And so 
One of the fascinating things is that we don't even know if it's actually true. Uh, it's just said that they were accusations. And so, uh, but uh, perhaps they were true, perhaps not. Uh, but the fact that he's just kind of silent about it maybe tells us something. He doesn't answer it. He doesn't say no. He doesn't say yes. Uh, and one commentator has said this is the very beginning of our understanding just how shrewd he is. Again, while some people, when they're caught in a trap, will just keep talking, the most shrewd, the smartest of us just shut up. And that's what he does. He's just quiet, doesn't say anything. So then the owner goes on. And the owner says, okay, I want you to kind of, you know, pony up, get all these accounts ready, and then you're done. You're fired, basically. And this was just the crack that the manager needed. And we get this great insight. This is a lot of fun. We get to go inside the brain of the manager at this point. We get to get into his kind of his thinking process and the manager says to himself, okay, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? I could dig. Oh, I could do manual labor. But then he says, I can't. I'm too weak. I can't do that. So then he goes to the next thing. What else could I do? Oh, I could beg. I could just beg for money. But then he says, no, I, that would be so shaming. And I have too much pride to do that. I can't beg. And so then all of a sudden, it's like a little light bulb that we get to see, right? All of a sudden comes up and he says, I know what I'm going to do. And I love this at this point because, you know, he doesn't just say, you know, he said, I can't do this, I can't do this. And then when we know what he can do, but he doesn't actually say it, right? This is the perfect kind of commercial break. We have this cliffhanger. He says, I know what I'm going to do. And then it goes to a break, right? We go, we get our popcorn, we go to the bathroom. We say, I wonder what he's going to do. What's he going to do? And we come back and we sit down and the parable continues. He goes to the first debtor. He says, how much do you owe? And he's like, well, I owe 100 buckets of something. And he says, okay, no longer. Quickly, quickly, he says, now you only owe 50. Wow, this is pretty great. Right, the next one comes along, and I think it's another 100 of something else. He says, oh, okay, don't worry about it. Now you only owe 80, right? And, 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 and you know, it's kind of like when you get a receipt or when they tell you what the cost is. You're like, wow, that seems like a lot less, but you know what? I'm not going to ask any questions. This is great. And, you know, the Lord's shining on me. And so they both take this, and he goes kind of from debtor to debtor to debtor. And what he's depending on here is what's called the ethic of reciprocity, right? Now, we have this. I scratch my, you know, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Uh, but here it would have been an even bigger deal, right? It's all about honor and shame. And the sense was, if someone does you a solid, if they do you a favor, then you almost are inclined, you almost have to, you're required to do them the favor in return, right? This is what this shrewd manager is thinking. I do this for you, and later you will house me. And the man, or excuse me, the owner, we are told, the owner, we think, of course, he's going to be upset. He's going to be livid, but he kind of smiles. Oh, you rascal. Well done. It's very strange. Now, here's one of the bigger questions that comes out of this is, what is the manager doing? How is he kind of lowering the bill? What does that mean? Well, the most obvious, of course, is he's just lowering the bill, right? That's the clearest. Uh, you know what? Okay, you say you owe 100, now it's only 50, you know, no big deal, right? And that, of course, costs the owner money. Now, there are other commentators who will go on and say, no, 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 no that's not what's happening. What's happening is that actually he's lowered his commission, 
And that was that extra 50, that extra 20. That was just the commission that the manager was going to get. And so that's why the owner still thinks it's great, right? That's why he thinks the owner, uh, the owner thinks that the property manager is fine because he still gets all of his money. Others would say, oh, no, 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 that's not what's happening. Here's what's happening. Actually, what the manager has done is he's taken out what's called usury, right? Or the interest, right? Which is an exorbitant amount here, uh, which according to scripture, they won't, weren't supposed to do anyways. And so he's just taken that out. In which case, this is why Jesus says, oh, yes, you should be more like this shrewd manager, right? Because he's, uh, he's doing the right thing here. Now, we don't know of those three options, which one for sure is right, but I have a sneaking suspicion, uh, again, with all humility, that it's actually probably the first one. And, and the reason why I think that is, A, it takes a lot of reading into the parable to try to come up with the other two. Oh, well, it's just a commission, or oh, it's, it's usury or whatnot. And, and this is really why I don't, I'm not really keen on it. I feel like it, it's a way of trying to help us to understand this parable in a way that doesn't really discomfort us or challenge us at all. You see, because then it just becomes this nice little morality tale. Oh, yeah, well, oh, yeah, well, the manager, you know, he changed his ways and he's really kind of a good guy and all that. And that makes more sense. And we like that. That makes us feel a little bit better. And we don't really have to wrestle with it that much because, Clearly, we don't expect this to happen, right? Clearly, we expect Jesus, when he's talking about the manager, to say, don't be like him. But he doesn't. And I think that when we soften it to say, oh, he's actually a really good guy, then it misses the exact thing that Jesus is trying to teach us. See, one of the things, well, Let's talk about this. Let's talk about Christian sociologist, Tony Campolo. Uh, you may have heard of him. You may know him. Well, back in the 90s, he was going around to a lot of Christian colleges, like the one that I went to. Uh, and so this is kind of a, a, a little famous kind of spiel that he would do. Uh, uh, and he would come to a, a conservative college like mine. I, I mean, we were very kind of, we were very conservative. So, you know, uh, no drinking, no, no smoking. Um, men could not go in women's dorms. Women could not go in men's dorms. We had a curfew. Uh, uh, we had to, uh, we were required to go to chapel three times a week. I know if you went to like IU or Purdue, you're like, hey, yeah, that reminds me of the night I spent in jail. And that's, you know, there's, there's some similarities probably, right? I mean, that was, you know, but it was fine with us. I was okay with it. I, you know, I wasn't really, a, uh, I know it surprises you. I wasn't hyper rebellious, you know? And so, and so this is the setting. I want to paint that for you, right? There we are. We're in chapel, you know, all in our holiness and we're there. And, uh, and, and, and he comes and he says, you know what? I have three points. Uh, point number one, last night, 10,000 children died of starvation and disease. And then he said, point two, most of you don't give a crap. But he didn't say crap. I even, I tried to make it a little bit worse so that my kids later would be like, dad, you said crap. But he said, Claude, I know you almost said it. But it elevated it. And I'm here to tell you that when he said that, you could have hear, heard a pin drop. Because we were like, oh, did you hear what he just said? You know, the, the few, the real rabble rousers, they're like, yeah, he said that, it's awesome, right? But they weren't Christian. The rest of us, 
We couldn't believe it. We thought there would be lightning at any moment. We looked over at the president. We thought at some point he was just going to bull rush Tony Campolo and just say, what are you thinking? Get out of here. We thought all of those things, but he, he didn't do any of those things. And we were all, we were like gobsmacked, right? There was this real uncomfortableness. And Campolo, you could tell he just loved it because he just kind of sat there, right? He could hear the murmurings. And then he said, here's point number three. Most of you here are more concerned with the fact that I said crap than you are with the fact that 10,000 kids died last night. And of course, he was absolutely right. Because after he had told us that 10,000 people had died, there were none of us who were like murmuring or kid. We were like, oh my goodness, can you believe there were that many? No, no, no. We just kind of sat there. But when he said that word, holy cow, I mean, we were caught asunder. This was horrible. And you know what, if, if he hadn't done that, if he had just come and said, hey, 10,000 people, 10,000 children died last night, 30 years later, I would not have remembered that he had come at all. And so there is a sense, right, with this shock and, you know, kind of all kind of wording that he used that all of a sudden it captured our attention. It forced us to pay attention. And in many ways, I think this is exactly the kind of thing that Jesus is trying to do. Jesus wants to wake those disciples up. He is afraid that they don't quite get exactly what is happening here, that they don't have a sense of urgency, that perhaps they're not really paying attention. And so rather than just saying exactly what they might think in this parable, he kind of almost with a smile, you can see just like Campolo had this, you know, this kind of smile and this anticipation, you know, of what they, how we were going to respond, that they have this kind of response. Even now, perhaps he continues to have this, we continue to have this response. Wait, what? What did he just say? What is it about a shrewd manager? What is it about shrewdness that Jesus wants us to understand? Well, what does shrewd even mean? So I, I looked it up uh, uh, on dictionary.com. And I mean, nobody questions dictionary.com. And here's what it says. Shrewdness, it means having or showing astute judgment in practical matters, right? So this is about being hyper-practical. Now, I don't always like being hyper-practical, especially kind of in sermons. I don't really like being hyper-practical. And sometimes we don't like to be, you know, we like to be more heavenly kind of oriented. And so there's a sense here where Jesus is saying, look, man, we got to be smart here. Now, the definition, though, on dictionary.com does continue, and it says this, having or showing astute judgment in practical matters, sometimes at the cost of moral compromise. Now that's the part of shrewdness that we oftentimes pay attention to. And here's the thing about being shrewd. It's kind of right there on the knife's edge, right? And you kind of sit there and you can easily, perhaps, as Jesus would say, go in a direction that is actually kind of good and you can use it for a good kingdom way. Or if you get a little bit too far to the other side, you can easily begin to morally uh, uh, compromise oneself and the kingdom. And so it is a very delicate balance here. This is the thing about shrewdness. So we tend to kind of stay away from it. We try to not get too close because we are afraid. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. I want you to pay attention. There are things that we can learn about people, the children of the world. These are the things that the children of the light need. How can we be more 
shrewd. So what does this mean? How do we actually see shrewdness here with, uh, with the manager? Well, let's just look at this kind of quickly. Again, it's going to be hyper-practical because this is what we're going to do. Number one, he uses the gifts, talents, experiences, and relationships that he had gained for one purpose, making money for his boss, and then uses it for a different purpose, i.e. his own survival, right? He knew how to deal with people. He knew who owned money. He, he knew what, how to deal with money. He had all these relationships with people. All of those were supposed to be for his owner. And all of a sudden now, he is using them for a wholly different purpose, W-H-O-L-L-Y. And that is in order to survive, right? So we see that. That's one thing he's doing. Number two, what does this shrewd manager does? He has great clarity about the future, which gives him a remarkable urgency to change what he is doing in the present. He knows beyond the shadow of a doubt that he is being fired and that he is soon going to go hungry. His future is very clear. And so does he just kind of sit around and say, well, I guess we'll see what happens later on. This should be interesting. Or does he all of a sudden say, oh no, I have got to figure out what to do right now. I cannot wait. I have to make a change today. Number three, he has an incredible amount of self-awareness and is not afraid to admit his limitations. This is so Good. We could say whatever we want to say about the manager, but I'll tell you what, he knows himself. He's like, man, if I get out there and dig, this is not going to go well. I do not have that kind of back, and this is going to be horrible for all of me. I can't do that. You know what? I'm going to be real honest, too. I got some pride, and there is no way I'm going out there and begging. And so he says, wait, wait, wait. I can't do those two things, but there is something that I know what to do, and that's what I'm going to do. Number four. He uses his shrewdness and resources to cultivate relationships. Now, this is where people get very uncomfortable because it can be, and it can be, very manipulative. And clearly, in some ways, it seems like that's what he's doing here, right? He's saying, look, if I'm going to survive, I'm going to need these people. And so I am going to be very strategic in how it is that I work with these particular people. And that's what he does. All right. Those are the four things. What does that mean for us as a congregation? I told you very practical today. Here's number one. Let's look at this again. Using the gifts, talents, experiences, and relationships that we have gained for one purpose and using it for a different purpose. How do we do that? Number one, well, clearly we do this in many ways, by thinking about what have you, what have you learned, right? You, you, guys are, you guys are good. You're, some of you are accountants. Some of you are teachers. Some of you are uh, uh, firemen. Some of you uh, are small business owners or entrepreneurs or lawyers. You do all of these different things, right? You've learned these things, and you've learned these things for one purpose, right? You, why, do you do, why do you learn accounting? Well, to make money is one. Very shrewd. So that you know how to use numbers as well, right? Of all different sorts, right? Why do you learn to become an attorney? So that you can uh, help with matters of the law, right? A doctor, whatever else it may be. A teacher, whatever it is, right? That's the one purpose. But now here's the thing. As a people of the kingdom, what you also know is that God has equipped you in this way so that you can also then be a people who help others to understand the difference that Jesus can make in their lives. What does that mean? Well, think about this. I always love that passage, right? 
where it says, uh, always be ready uh, to give an answer when people ask you why you are so hopeful. Here's the thing. You have a remarkable opportunity to be subversive in whatever it is that you do, to do it in such a way that people say, wow, I know you're a teacher and that's phenomenal, but there's something different about the way that you teach, right? Even accounting, right? It's not that the numbers are different, but the way that you deal with people is different as you're talking to them about the numbers. All of these things, right, we do in this remarkably subversive way. We've been taught for one purpose, but we know deep down that a part of the reason why we do this is to love people in a unique God-given way. So what is the way in which we do this? A shrewd people will not say, well, I'm going to leave my faith at the door when I leave the house. Then I will go, and then I will do the math for this accounting, and then I will come home, and I'll put back the faith again. That's not what we are called to do. Now, here's the second part of that. And I said this to somebody earlier this week. A part of the reason, part of the long-term plan for what we do when we go down south and we begin to work uh, uh, with Crooked Creek in that area is this. The long-term goal is this. We want you at some point, we want our small business folks. We want our, uh, we, we want our accountants. I don't know why I keep coming to an accountant. This is where it is. We want our attorneys, our nurses, our teachers. We want them to use all that they're doing there in order to go and to help that community to flourish. This is the long-term goal, which is that we begin to help to bring change to that community in that way. Again, we go in all humility. We go because we know that we have much to learn. Please hear me. But we also go because we know that we have something to offer. And this is what we use all of those gifts and talents and experiences and relationships in order to help others, right? So this is the first thing. This is what a shrewd people begin to do. We begin to think in a deeper way. Number two, what do we do? We have clarity about the future, which gives us a remarkable urgency to change what we are doing in the present. What exactly does that mean for us? I cannot remember. You guys got nervous. I thought, no, we're going to be fine right here. Give me a few minutes. Let's see here. Where are we? Oh, yeah. So what does that mean? Urgency to change. What's going to happen in the future? What do we know is going to happen in the future? We know about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is coming. So the question is, what are we going to do in the present about that reality? When the kingdom of God comes, there is this whole vision of what that's going to look like. It's going to be a people. We're going to be a people full of gentleness, a people full of patience, a people full of grace and love. This is what the future coming kingdom of God looks like. Now that's wonderful, but here's the thing. In order for that to happen, right, we can either just sit around and wait for that to happen, or we can do whatever is necessary to try, and this is what Jesus would call us, to do that now. What does it look like, and how do I cultivate being gentle now so that I can be ready for the future that is coming? How do I learn patience now, right? What's one of the great things that we can do? We'll talk about this even more here in a few minutes. Just slow down. What do you need to do? What is a practice? I need to slow down. I need to eliminate something today 
so that I can begin to become more patient. Far too many of us, we say, oh, well, that'll be great when that comes in the future. We know this is coming. We believe that this is the coming kingdom of God. But rather than actually doing anything and having a sense of urgency today, we simply wait and we wait and we wait. And this is not what God calls us to. What's another thing that we can do? Well, this is what we just did actually with the property, it seems to me. We know in the future, right? Uh, this is kind of what happens. Uh, that as you get older, eventually most of us, will will die yeah I don't know why I said most um I mean you just never know so right which means that one of the things that we need to be thinking about are those who are left behind geez it's very dark yes those who are left behind right the younger people right and we know that now we could live and I have seen many churches do this quite frankly we could just live uh, and act as if that's never going to happen you know well we're never going to die and just kind of make every decision based off of that or we can say no, no 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 and this is what we've done with the property we know what younger people are looking for we know oftentimes right that, that the security of their children right what they're looking for that that a place that's kind of updated, all of those things. So we, we today make changes with a sense of urgency about the clarity about what is coming. You don't wait until already the future is here. A shrewd people make changes today. Number three, just like the manager, to be self-aware and not afraid to admit our limitations. The church stinks at this, by and large. You know why? Because we, as pastors, aren't very good at this. You know what we're not very good at saying? It's a two-letter word. No. You know, someone comes up with an idea, maybe a great idea. Yeah, sure thing, we'll do that. Someone comes up, yeah, because why? Because we don't ever want to hurt anyone's feelings, and we don't want people to be mad at us. But it may not actually be something that it may be a great idea, but it may not be what we can actually do well. And yet we'll oftentimes just say, sure. Or the other thing that we do, and we're really bad at this, is we keep things going well after their shelf life has expired. We call these, what do we call these things? Two words, sacred cows, right? Don't touch that. Yes, we realized that like, we had this at a previous congregation. I was, we had this, we did this uh, little market, like a flea market kind of thing, a rummage sale. That's what it was called. And we did it. And man, it took so much work, so much work. And they'd been doing this for like years and years. And I'm, I don't, I think we made like 20 bucks, but it's like, oh, well, time, well, the calendar says rummage sale. Let's get everybody, right? Bring in your trash and we're going to sell it. And we're going to make 20 bucks. And we're all like, yeah, no, somebody, the pastor, and I didn't, should have said, I don't think so, right? To admit kind of the limitations. No, you know what? We want to be self-aware. This isn't really working very well. I would suggest this. I actually think that we are pretty good here at ZPC uh, at, at kind of leaning into those things in which we are gifted, right? And I really appreciate that, uh, that about ZPC, and we must continue uh, uh, to do so. All right, number four using our shrewdness and resources to cultivate relationships. Again, this makes people kind of nervous, um, but I would say that this is really something that we, uh, that we have to do. Uh, whatever you do, whatever actions you take, you will always either cultivate relationships or you will diminish relationships. And resources have a remarkable uh, ability to do this. Do I have time? Okay, I'm going to give you a quick, did you, did you say yeah? Okay, good. Uh, thanks, Jason. That's why we pay you. So, um, <laughs> 
You know how the greatest way, uh, this is just uh, the holidays are coming up. You know the greatest gift, if you're a grandparent that you can give to your children, I would suggest this, is, is, is do an Airbnb, if you have the resources, and we're talking about if you have wealth, uh, get an Airbnb that's really big. Uh, see, that's why you wanted me to do this. Yeah, uh, uh, that's, that's really big where everybody can come and gather. You see, because this is what, you know, sometimes grandparents think, oh, well, you know what, here's, uh, well, let's just have everybody come back to the old homestead. That's going to be great, right? I've done this. Uh, I don't think my in-laws watch this. Uh, they have a three-bedroom house. You know, at this point, there is, let's see here, when we all gather, six, 10, there's about 14 of us. You know how fun, that, you know for how long that's fun? Uh, uh, about two minutes, right? And then when you're sleeping and you're on an air mattress and you can hear everything and everybody after about two or three days, everyone's grouchy with one another, right? That's not a great way to do it. Or people say, oh, you know what we should do? Uh, we, should, uh, uh, we should get a hotel. Oh yeah, but the problem is then, right? You get a hotel, especially if you have a, if you have a, a younger child and that child needs to go to bed. Then one of the parents, you know what they have to do? They have to go into the hotel room and then they just are like, and it's like seven o'clock at night and they're just laying there and they're just like real quiet, you know, because someone has to be in there with the kid and you can't move, you can't talk and you don't get to do anything. So it doesn't cultivate relationships. This is, this is how I'm getting to this. One of the greatest ways to cultivate relationships, you get an Airbnb, right? There's like 10 rooms. I get that to be that big, but whatever it is, they get to go in there, they go to sleep. Then you have like two different living rooms and you get to go and you get to chit chat. We have done that in the past. It is amazing how much more that cultivates relationships, right? Wealth can cultivate relationships in a remarkable way. We can use our resources, just the way that space is laid out, right? A large Airbnb versus a small house or a hotel, right? The way it's laid out, right? So this is the reason why we, uh, with our gathering space, we are making it larger while also putting in more intimate spaces. Why? Because we want to cultivate relationships. This is why we literally pay for babysitters uh, so that home groups can meet together. Why? Because if you tried to have a deep conversation with a two-year-old screaming in your midst, it is not fun. And so we say, okay, you go over there, little kids. We love you, but we want some space. And then the adults can sit there and they can have a conversation. This is why in three weeks we do our trunk or treat. We spend resources. Why? Because hundreds of people from the community come so that we can then finally meet them and get to know them well. This is what happens. This is how you can shrewdly use one's resources in order to cultivate relationships. And if we do not do that, then we will struggle with these relationships and that is at the bedrock in many ways of our faith. Now, I want to give just a couple more examples of overall how we do this. I think actually shrewdness should be the lens through which we make decisions. So what might that look like? Example one, maybe you're in the mood to find a house. You're like, ah, I'd love to buy a house. I'm in the mood to buy. Anyone here want to buy a house? Let's just say you do. You don't just say, well, usually when we go to buy a house, we think, all right, well, let's see here. What's going to fit our family? This is going to be great. Or you know what? It's just me on my own, and this is going to be plenty size. I like this. And you just, you make it based off of just that. But what does a shrewd person who Jesus will kind of smile at because you're doing kingdom work, a shrewd person will be asking him or herself some questions, right? Like not just what fits well for me, but let's just say, for example, uh, this is what fits well for me so that I can be hospitable, right? I want to cultivate relationships. This place has a great porch. I can imagine me sitting out there with my neighbors on that porch. This place has a great fire pit. I could, I could imagine us being in that fire pit, right? You begin to ask 
other questions. How is this going to cultivate relationships, right? Or maybe you say, oh, well, we could stretch and we could buy this really big house. But the problem is, right, when you begin to think more shrewdly, you think, well, we could do that, but then we're spending all of our money on that. And we would prefer to also cultivate generosity because Jesus has told us to be generous people. So let's buy a house, you know, that instead of being 8,000 square feet is only 7,000 square feet. I think we can do it. And we kind of pull back some. Why? So that then we can be more generous, so that then we can be more giving. You see, a shrewd person does not just simply ask questions about what fits well for me. It is always having the sense of a lens of saying, what is going to help cultivate? If this is the kingdom that is coming, then what do I need to do differently today? Which leads me to this second example that I really want us to think through, and we're eventually going to do a little bit of work on this. What is it that I can do? How can I begin to admit my limitations? This is one of our greatest sins, it seems to me, in a community like ours, which is that we like to think that we have no limitations. I want you to look at the person who is next to you. I don't care if you know them or not, because I have a feeling they're thinking it. And I want you to look at them and say, you cannot do everything. Okay, do you believe it? Probably not. Because it is absolutely impossible to live with the future in mind if all you are ever doing is living so frantically in the present. It is impossible. You are, I should tell you to say this to each other too, you are not God. I didn't actually say that, but some of you have been waiting to say that to the person next to you. You will not be able to live shrewdly, to live with the future in mind and to make changes today if you are never thinking about the future that is coming. So what is your vision, right? What is this kind of grand? As you begin to think about this is what the kingdom looks like, right? Maybe it's that, oh, I want to live more simply, right? Because I just have too much. And again, I know I talk about this a lot because every time you move, you always begin to think about that, right? So how can I live more simply so that I have more time and space to be present to others, right? Or maybe you want to, as I've already said, be more generous. And I love what someone says, which is that, you know, what needs to be true today? What needs to be true today for me to begin working my way to this future, uh, my, uh, I, I've said to you all uh, before that um, I've been reading a lot of books on pilgrimages and I'm, I'm kind of getting into pilgrimages and, and I'm like, okay, I want to do this and how do I do this if this is a dream? And at the same time, right, I, so, so I think it's really important for us. Uh, so, so this is kind of the future. Okay, here's pilgrimage. I want to do this. At the exact same time, uh, I'm also realizing probably because my eldest just started high school, uh, I'm seeing that future as well, which is that soon she's going to be gone and Megan and I are going to be weeping in each other's arms and all by ourselves. So, so there's the future. It's really, it looks really good. And... Um, so I began to say, okay, what do I want to do? Okay, I want to do a pilgrimage. And I, now, I'm, I, I, so I've said to myself, okay, I want to do a pilgrimage with my eldest daughter, right? I, w- I want to do that. So we had this, that's very clear. This is the future. Now what we had to ask is what needs to change today, right? Today, what's the first step that I need to take to be able to get there? And it's literally a step, right? I mean, what, what, one of the things with the pilgrimage, of course, this is not rocket science. You have to actually, you have to walk. Yep. So today then, right? So, so several months ago, I did that. We did that. We went for a walk together. Okay, that's good, right? 
That's what we did today. You have to take one step. And then the next step, of course, is, okay, now we have to walk with a backpack, right? Because that's what you have to do, right? If you're going to go on a pilgrimage. So we, so we had to start walking with a backpack. Then I realized I didn't know everything, so I had to walk into REI. Now, I don't know about you guys, but when I... When I walk into Aria, it's like walking into a mechanics place. It is like magic. I have no idea what any of that stuff means, right? You walk in and I mean, it's just like, it's so much, right? And so I go in and I get help from people and I feel stupid because I don't know what it's like. And I just feel like people just are like, why are you even here? And it's true, right? I have no idea what I'm doing, but I know that if I want this, what has to change today? Today, I have to go into a store and get some advice from people. I have to go into a store and buy one little thing or whatever it might be, right? And so that's what has to happen today. So here's the question. What needs to happen today? If you have this clarity, I want to be more gentle. I want to be more, I want to live more simply. I want to be more present with people. That's great. That's wonderful. That's fine. But the shrewd person says with a sense of urgency, what needs to change today for that to happen? If you want to live more simply, what do you need to go home and throw away today? If you want to be more generous, what do you need to go home and say, no, I am no longer going to do this or pay for this or pay for that? What needs to happen today? A shrewd person asks that question. A non-shrewd person just says, won't that be wonderful? <sighs> One more quick thing, and then we'll, then we'll do the homework that I have. That's in class work. And this is probably just more about, uh, it has less to do with you per se, but this is about pastors. I think we have to get more shrewd with helping our young people see the joy of becoming a pastor. Just bear with me for a moment. As I look at the future, it's not just me, it's many. As we look at the future, here's the reality. Fewer and fewer people are becoming pastors. Now, when I was growing up, uh, um, uh, and it's probably why I don't talk about it very much. Like being a missionary was number one at the church, being a pastor. Like that's what, that's what you were really spiritual if you did that. The rest of you just riffraff. But this was really good. Right? And, and I don't think that that's right. And I don't think that that's good. So please hear me. That's why I hardly ever, I don't talk about that much. I've talked about it like in one or two sermons, right? But I know that this is, this is kind of, we're in this kind of, this downward spiral here. And my concern is that we've not been very shrewd about trying to think through that. Uh, because other professions are very shrewd, right? And, and in a good way. I don't mean that in a bad way, right? But I mean, it's, and, and, and our culture kind of cultivates that, and that's great, you know? Um, but, 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 but there's a lot more uh, kind of excitement about going into one of those other fields, right? And so what happens, what I've noticed is what kind of happens is that, is that by and large, oh, you know what? Well, you, should be, uh, 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 you should be, let's see here, you should be a doctor. And if you can't get into med school, then maybe if you want to, you can be a pastor, Right? Or, or, or you should, you know, you should be a teacher. But if you've done that for a couple of years and you realize, hey, I hate kids, then maybe you could be a pastor. That's still there. That option's always there. I want to be a fireman. That's great. And then you realize, you know what? I don't really like climbing ladders and it's just heavy work. And oh, well, you know what? You can always be a pastor. And, and, and that's, you know, this is, again, I think I want us to go into all different vocations, but I also think that we've done a pretty, uh, uh, and starting with me, a pretty bad job of, of helping people to see the gifts that it is to be in ministry and the remarkable things that we get to do when we walk alongside people, right? And, and this past summer, uh, this was great. We had a, 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 one of our college students who was a counselor at camp. And after doing that, he went back to his school and he, he changed at least to a minor that was dealing with ministry. And I think that was phenomenal. And, 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 and I think we've, we've got to figure out how do we invest 
more in that because at some point, if we want to try to see a different future, then we, we, we need to rethink some of those things. Okay, so, so hopefully you have this three by five. Don't worry, we're not going to have a, cl- a closing song, so don't get nervous that we're going to go long. Um, um, I want you to pick that. If you don't have that, um, maybe, uh, let's see here, Ashley or Lynn, maybe if you don't have one, uh, maybe just raise your hands and we'll get you one. And it just, I think it it just says, here it is right here. It just says being a shrewd manager. And I just want you to say, if, 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 if I have clarity around the future, whatever that might be, this is the real question. What, What needs to change? What can I do today? Literally today, what can you go home and do today? that will begin this journey towards you becoming a bit more shrewd. If you want to be more gentle or more patient, or if you want to be more generous, uh, or if you just want to be more present, whatever it might be, there is something I assure you that you can do differently today to begin to see this as being a shrewd manager. And so we're going to take just a couple of minutes now And I want to encourage you to just think through that, write it down. If you can't think of it in two minutes, that's fine. You can do it later. But have a sense of urgency. What needs to change or to be true for you today? You know, one of the things I should have said is that if you had trouble kind of thinking through, wait, I don't, I don't know what that, that future is. I don't know what, I haven't really even thought about that. That's, that's totally fine. So what, what you need to put down here is what's one thing I cannot do today uh, so that I can actually have space to begin to think about that. Again, if we start running from one thing to the next to the next, you will never have time to think, wait, what is coming in the future? How, what is the clarity there so that then you know this is how I can shrewdly begin to work toward that. I saw one of two of yours. You already had rent and Airbnb. That's great. Thank you for doing that. Um, but, but really just to begin to think through that. What does this story mean? And what is, 
You know, what is the way? I mean, I didn't spend any time talking about, well, was Jesus really saying we should be dishonest? I think we can probably, some people waste, uh, I wouldn't say wasted time on that, but I think you can look at all the gospels and realize Jesus is not going to say, hey, or it's not really, the point is not, you know, just try to be dishonest. But I do think he's saying, look, we need to learn. We, as children of the light, we need to desperately have a sense of urgency and begin to make changes for the future coming kingdom. All right, with that, let me encourage you to stand. Sisters and brothers in Christ, as you go out from this place today, continue to wrestle with this question. Take this card home. And if you didn't have time, you didn't come up with something, just keep thinking through what does it mean for me to be more shrewd in a way that makes Jesus smile? And with that, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with each and every one of you this day and until Christ Jesus returns. Hallelujah. Amen.